Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab podcast. Each week, we want to bring you an insightful interview on a specific topic in board game design to help you design and create games people love. And now, here's your host, Gabe Barrett. What's up, my friends? Welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, we're talking about a day in the life of a game designer, a board game professional, a publisher. We've got Jamie Stegmeyer on the show again. Jamie, glad to have you back. Super glad you could be here. Thanks for thanks for being here. Thank you so much for inviting me back. Yeah. Absolutely. Jamie was on the first episode of the show, and uh, I look forward to having you back over and over again, man. You're, you're a lot of fun to talk to. you got a lot of really good insight, and I'm excited to get into this uh, particular topic because you have a ton of insight on this from a lot of different angles. So, uh, you're a board game publisher, a designer. You, you do the, all the, the different aspects that go along with that. But that wasn't always the case. You didn't just wake up one day and become a professional board game designer and publisher. And so I'm excited to kind of hear what a day in your life looks like. And not necessarily minute by minute, but maybe minute by minute, if, if that's going to give us a good picture of it. Because I get so many questions uh, from people uh, that talk about, man, I just don't have the time. How do I find more time to design games? How do I find time to kickstart my game or find art, all those different things that deal with time. And I think a lot of people had this misconception that, well, if I was just doing this full time, like if this is my only job, then, then I would be fine. I'd have plenty of time to design and play test and prototype and all those different things. And so we're going to find out how true that is today okay. and just kind of get your perspective on what time really looks like uh, from a board game professional like yourself. So uh, you told me before the show started, you've gotten uh, some things kind of laid out as far as what your time looks like now as you're, uh, uh, you know, this is your full-time gig now. So let's kind of talk through that, and then we'll work our way uh, from the beginning up back up to here, like a little Quentin Tarantino movie. We'll start with the ending, and then we'll go back to the <laughs> beginning. So wh what do you have so far? Well, I knew we were going to be talking about this. Uh, we're recording this on Monday at around 2 o'clock my time. And so yesterday, starting with when I woke up on Sunday morning, I kind of tracked my time so that we could have some sort of, some sort of a framework to go by. So I'll run by one over real quick what I recorded, and then you can let me know uh, if anything stands out. So I, I woke up yesterday, Sunday at 7.30, and within a few minutes, I, I work from home. So within a few minutes, I, I was doing the three things that I do first thing in the morning. I try to reply to all my emails um, from a ton of different people, you know, partners, producers, people who, random people who have our games and have questions, things like that. And I do the social media, Facebook, BoardGameGeek, Twitter. So I kind of run through all that and kind of clear out any outstanding questions that I have. Usually there are quite a few on Facebook and BoardGameGeek in particular, but sometimes there's some on Twitter as well. And so I'll call that like the email social media because that, that'll happen throughout the day. But that's the first thing at 7.30. Then I've been working on Charterstone, the, the game that I've been we're in blind playtesting right now, so that's like a big thing. And, and this weekend, I, I spent a lot of time working on the new prototype. And so a big part of my day yesterday, um, after doing all that social media stuff, was I spent most of my morning on Charterstone, um, just working on a prototype on InDesign. And then I moved back over to, to – I kind of – when I do that, I turn off my email. I turn off social media so I can just focus on game design. So then I turned social media back on before I, uh, you know, did regular stuff like shower and, and ate lunch and things like that. Uh, so most of the morning was in Charterstone, then back to social media, then some personal stuff for until I was done with lunch, then back to social media and email. I did a little bit of Charterstone. This is going to be really boring here, but I went to the grocery store and then I came back and worked on Charterstone. I went and played Gloomhaven for a couple hours, came back and worked on Charterstone, and then I... Uh, and that was midnight. 
So that that was 7:30 to midnight. Most of the game spent most of the day spent um, doing charter stone stuff. And today I was done with the prototype. So today, I similarly, woke up at 7:30, um, did the email, social networking stuff, and then caught up on some business stuff that that I was putting off because I was working on getting designed over the weekend. Gotcha. So kind of give me a rundown of how today is normal or yesterday was normal or, you know, is it normal to be able to work on a game for that many hours and kind of go do this and then come back, go to this and come back? Or, you know, do, do a lot of days you find yourself having to talk to distributors and, and clients and all these different things. Like give me kind of a normal day. Yeah, I would say that that is not, uh, that, that's, that's a heavy design day, um, especially working on a prototype. So n- normally a lot of that time, nor- normally at best I get to spend a few hours a day working on game design, unless I have a, a, a real deadline like I had yesterday. So normally at most it's a few hours and the rest of the day, usually 12 to 14 hours are, are spent doing the social media stuff, the email to distributors, lots of weird, like I, I have a backlog of stuff where I have to send emails to retailers. Uh, I, I, have a, I have to go through our monthly financials. I have to write today's blog entry for my blog. I have to review page proofs for the Between Two Cities expansion. I have to send out the new side expansion to blind playtesters and coordinate that. And I have to write the rule book for it. And I have to um, contact our, our Charterstone blind, blind playtesters for the third wave. Um, so that's today. Like, that's what I have to do today. A, a lot of emailing ran various people. Yeah, and none of that sounds very fun. Like, you know, oh, I got to check my financials. Oh, I have to proofread this thing. It was like, oh, man, none of that sounds very enjoyable. But do you find yourself doing that stuff a whole lot more than maybe you expected going in? I knew it would be a lot of that. In my head, when I romanticize the idea of game design, there, none of that is part of it. Um, but a lot of game design is coordinating playtests. Like, that's just what that, – that's a lot of the time that I spent. And that that is a core part of game design. Um, and so even though, like – even though it's not all that sexy to just like email playtesters and get playtesters to sign up, it's still, it ends up being fun because I'm getting people to play one of my games and give me feedback and make it better for the final product. So it ends up being kind of fun, but it is different than like turning off the computer and just brainstorming game, game ideas or, you know, it's very different than that. And then people giving you money for it. Like they knock on your... Yeah, that's fun too. <laughs> but I think that's sometimes our, you know, people's ideas. They want to be a game designer. Oh, I'm going to come up with these ideas, and I want people to knock on my door and hand me money. And like, this is how it's supposed to work, right? Well, well, no. Oh. If you want to be a pro game designer, you kind of have to become a pro play tester and a yes. pro yeah. uh, manager, a project manager. And you've talked about that on your your blog. Do you find yourself having to sometimes just actually schedule design time and say, I've got all these things, but I'm going to schedule out this hour for just design, turn everything off? You have to do that? That's that's almost always how I can find game design. I have to schedule it, and I have to... I, I really have to turn off the computer to really focus on it, unless I'm doing prototyping stuff on the computer. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, it's, it, it, is not, it does not organically find its way into any given day unless I make it happen. Right. I feel like yeah. just like any business, you constantly have fires pop up that you have to put out. And you have to decide, yeah. is this fire big enough to put out right now, or can I let it burn for a while and not burn down the whole building? Uh, yeah. You know, and especially, as you talked about, you check your email, right? You know, first thing, and you're emailing people. Do you find yourself running into, oh, man, now i got to deal with this today. I didn't even, this wasn't even on the schedule. Does that happen regularly? Yeah, it does. It does. I mean, that's, I like the way you said that. It, it, there are a lot of fires to put out, a lot of problems to solve. And oftentimes, they're, they're, 
sometimes it's gratifying because sometimes it's a really easy problem. Like in the morning, I generally have a, at least a few people emailing me for, for for a replacement part. And so that means they haven't found the form on our website to do that. And that's really easy for me to take care of. So it's, it's a little fire, very, very small, but it's easy for me to send them the link and say, hey, just fill out the form, we'll take care of it. And that fire is gone and it feels good to have taken care of it. But there are always a few bigger ones. They're not always issues, but maybe it's someone with a big question with something that I actually have to prepare where I can't just write a 10 second email and be done with it. Yeah. Have you, have you created templates for people? Like if they send you, if you get a similar question all the time, do you have templates you can just copy and paste in there? You know, I don't, I should have one for email. I end up always just typing it out like, Hey, thanks for your request. Here's the form. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I bet there's a way outlook to do that. I'm glad you mentioned that Gabe. Yeah, that's one, yeah, that's one thing I saw. I think Michael Hyatt or somebody, one of those big yeah. leadership or business gurus was talking about, he, he kept getting the same question. So he had an Evernote uh, note, and he had just like templates written out of all the things that he uh, had yeah. to constantly answer. And he would just go in there, copy it, paste it in the email, change the name Ooh. or whatever, hit send, and he was good. And so it saved him. And he talked about, you know, when you don't think about it because it's only 10, 15, 20 extra seconds. Right. But if you do that 10 times a day, if you do that 20 times a day, seven days a week, that all of a sudden turns into hours that you could have been spending doing something else. Well, well, cool, man. Anything else kind of going on today? Before we jump back to to pre-Jamie Stegmaier being anybody, before he was the guy that created the, what, number six ranked game in the world right now? Congratulations on that. Just saw we're size number six. But before you were that guy, uh, anything else you kind of want to get into with what you're dealing with on a daily basis right now? Right now, no, I mean, other than those things I mentioned that I'm working on the day, all the, the coordination stuff, that's, that's, that'll be the rest of my day after this. Yeah. Although, actually, what we're doing right now is often uh, something that happens during the day. I, I, I love the opportunity to talk to, to media creators like you. Mm. Um, it definitely doesn't happen every day, but uh, I would say maybe once a week, once or twice a week. And that's – so that's uh, – that's it's actually kind of nice that that I get to mix up the day with all these different things. It's not the same thing over and over usually. Yeah. Like I'll spend an hour doing this, and then I'll do financials, which is not very fun, but I'll do it and for an hour or so, and then I'll move away from that and do something creative, hopefully for a little bit. Yeah. Just mix things up like that. Absolutely. And do you find that also kind of helps get the creative juices flowing, where you can go, you can step away, and then come back? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Definitely. That's one thing you know, people give advice about is if you're stuck on a game, we'll put it on the shelf for a while and come back to it later. Um, yeah. And so you kind of get to do that in short spurts as you go to the grocery store and come back or as you go do these right. emails and come back. That's really cool. Um, well, cool, man. Well, let's, let's jump into pre-everything, back when, when yeah. little Jamie Stegmeyer was just, just designing games for fun. You know, maybe not maybe that far when you were a kid. But when you were, yeah. like, working on Viticulture or, or, yeah. or maybe in a game before that, but when you were working on something, you're like – and you thought, man, this has a chance. I feel like this has a really good shot at being something special – but before you even jumped on Kickstarter or anything like that, what did your game design life look like then? So you're working a full-time job, but then how are you finding time to design and play test and do all that good stuff? That's a good question. So that takes me back. We're in 2017 now. I think that was 2012. Um, as you said, I had a full-time job. Um, and so it's, it's almost hard to remember what it was like back then. But I, I think if I can recall correctly, a, a normal day then would have been me going to work, coming home, maybe playing soccer, eating dinner, and then I, I also write a personal blog. So every night I have a little bit of time for that. And so usually there would be maybe an hour or two, if I wasn't already doing something like a game night, an hour or two that I would spend 
on viticulture. Um, that's my recollection. So maybe about an hour or two on, on game design, whatever stage of the game design it was on at that time. I think I was building prototypes last uh, that February five years ago. Was it more organic then? Were you just kind of, whenever you got motivated, oh, I think I'll work on the game tonight, or did you schedule it out back then? I had I had more free time, so I think it, it, it was, like, if I was uh, excited to do it, I had the time to do it, and I would just do it for a few hours. So it wasn't hard to schedule. Um, it, it just kind of, it, mostly it just happened. And I think this depends from person to person. For me, I, I, I go to bed the most satisfied if I've created something that day and not just, and I love to consume stuff. I love to read. I love to, you know, play games, watch movies. I love to consume all that amazing stuff. But if I don't create something on a daily basis, even just like 30 minutes of brainstorming, it, it's, I don't go to bed very satisfied. So usually I find time to create something every day, even if it's just a blog entry. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, that was the case back then too. Oh, okay, cool. So you've kind of been in that, in that mode for a while. Very yeah. cool. Uh, you know, one thing I found, I have a big to-do list, a big whiteboard, and so uh-huh. I, I love writing things on it and I love erasing them. I love getting them done. Uh, yeah. It feels so good. But I'm kind of in the same vein as you. Like I don't go to bed feeling good unless I've erased most of that board, sure. if not all of it. You know, and so now I'm real... Uh, uh, intentional, intentional about putting things on. I'm like, well, if I'm going to put that on that board, I'm going to have to get it done. So do I really want to put it on the board or do I want to wait about it? And so it's almost yeah. like this meta game. I play with myself. I, maybe I won't say play with myself. Maybe I'll cut that out. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I know exactly what you're, you're talking about there. So, so you, you got the game design. How long did it take to, to finish Viticulture to a point where you're like, this is ready for Kickstarter? Uh, I started it in like October of 2011. And then uh, it, I, I thought it was ready for Kickstarter in August, pretty much when we, when we launched the Kickstarter project. Um, in hindsight, it, it was not. The, the art wasn't where it needed to be. The, it hadn't had hardly any blind playtesting at that point. Um, so it was during the actual Kickstarter project that I ended up managing the product project and managing blind playtesting at the same time, which was not a good idea. Yeah. So how did your daily life change during that? Was it 30 days? How many days did you do the Kickstarter? That one was a long one. It was 42. Okay. Two very intense days where, and I still had the full-time job. So right. I, I would wake up in the morning. I would try to do email and, and answer comments and questions for a few minutes. And I would go to work. And honestly, uh, my employer won't be listening to this, obviously. It doesn't matter now because I don't work for him. But I, I was not dividing my time very well. So a lot of the time when I was at work, I was also, I had Kickstarter on, on one of my tabs. And I was answering questions and comments. And Part of that, I think, is just human nature. It's 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 really exciting to be a part of a Kickstarter project like that. So I couldn't just turn it off when I was at, at my day job. Um, so I would do that all day at the day job, and then I would come home and just continue to do it and do the do the game design stuff that I, I should have done before the campaign started and all the marketing stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So well, let's kind of take a step back. Let's compare yeah. that daily grind and what it looked like then to your recent most recent kickstarter and kind of how are they different like how are you managing your time differently now what have you learned yeah uh that's a great way to put it because with uh, since then uh i've been much more intentional about getting the game done before the project begins um maybe not 99 percent done i think we were still doing some proofreading of the rule book during the side kickstarter project but for the most part 99% 99% of my attention was devoted purely towards the Kickstarter itself and the backers, which is still, it's a, it's a lot, it's a lot of customer service because I'm interacting with a lot of people. I think there's like 23,000 comments on the side of the Kickstarter page and maybe half of them are mine or a lot of them are mine. 
so that was a big part of it. And also just like, I'm always making little changes to that project page. So it's always in my head, how can I make this a little bit better? How can I make this graphic more effective? How can I make this update, communicate the message better? Um, so a lot of it's just like little touches. And there's a lot of social media during the Kickstarter campaign. So I would spend a lot of time on BoardGameGeek and Facebook too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the things I love about Kickstarter, and for all its many problems, one of the things I love is that you can have almost basically real-time changes of oh, yeah. anything. You know, I was talking to Ryan Lockett a few weeks ago, and he talked about how he put up the picture of the new board. He was doing a second edition of City of Iron, I think. And so he put yeah. up his idea for the new board, and people hated it. He's like, oh, no. And so he like went home that night and like redrew a whole brand new board and then posted that and people loved it. And he, and he talked about how, you know, he was just going to use that, that new board he'd created and he was so glad he didn't, in the end, he was able to change it before it went to print. Uh, so, yeah. I mean, you can change everything, not just pro, uh, the project page or anything, but, but all across the board. But, you know, that's if you can answer 16,000 comments. You know, that right. is an all-consuming kind of thing. And so, and, and let's even get into that. You've talked about on your blog and, and for pe maybe people who hadn't read it about the physical toll that Kickstarter has taken on you at some time. So let's talk about that and how, you know, that, that daily time devoted to it, what it caused in the end. Well, and, and it, it's good that we're contrasting viticulture and scythe here too, because it was, scythe was, it was emotionally taxing for like the first couple days because I made a mistake with the stretch goals. I don't, I don't know if it was a mistake, but it was it was not ideal and people didn't respond well to it. So it was probably a mistake. And so the first two days, were, which should have been awesome, it made like a million dollars in the first week. It, it should have been, I should have been on a high the whole time, but it was very stressful. And so when I fixed that, my emotional state changed a lot. It, it was much better after that. With viticulture, because I was doing so much – it really, I was doing the same amount of side, but it was so much in a different way. And really, I wasn't sleeping well because I would, I would go to bed thinking about the project and I would wake up thinking about the project. And I would wake up in the middle of the night to like check the funding. Then I, when the project ended, I stayed healthy, physically healthy throughout the entire project. And then the moment it ended, I got really sick for like a week. Um, not in a deadly way, just like a really bad cold. But it was clear to me that my body had kind of been holding that off for the project because I, I was just putting so much on it that it, that it couldn't handle. Have you ever done that? Have you ever like had to get something done, and then at the moment that you're done, your body is like, no, like oh, absolutely. Well, college yeah. college football, man. I mean, my body was wrecked. It was <laughs> wrecked, and yeah. then I mean, it's kind of funny. I look back in in the few months after, and this part partially my fault too. But in the few months after I got done playing, I don't think I moved. Like I didn't run, <laughs> I didn't lift weights, I didn't do anything hardly, and my uh -huh. body just kind of locked up. Like it was just. I feel like an old man every day and getting out of bed and all, all was terrible. And so I actually had to start moving again. And I was actually afraid. I, was, I feel like I'm like a feeble old man. It's like, if I try, if I try to lift weights again, I'm going to break. Um, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's kind of funny how your body will, like it knows, it knows what it can oh, do yeah. and it just pushes it off until later. It, it naturally procrastinates strangely enough. Right. Right. Um, but any kind of tips for people that are, you know, about to run their first Kickstarter to, to help them avoid that crash and burn there at the end? I think it's going to vary a lot from person to person, but I, I think the maybe the overarching idea is just to be aware of that, to be aware that some part of you is probably going to be very stressed. And if you can identify what that stress is and how it's affecting you, you can probably do something about it. Um, like I, I, I realized that the hard way with viticulture, with scythe, I was definitely very aware of, of, uh, of the stress. But I, like I... I tried to keep some element of normalcy to my life. Like I continue to host game nights every week. 
I could have not, not done that during the campaign, but it was so like, it was mentally really good for me to turn off the computer for a few hours and just play games. Um, knowing that those com comments are going to go unanswered, messages are going to go unanswered, but I knew that it was better for me to take that time off and just play games and relax for a few hours than to remain on that level of like just being on all the time. But that's going to depend. That's going to vary a lot from person to person, I think. Absolutely. But it also gets into the whole, which fires do you put out? Which fires are most important? Which yeah. fires do I need to not worry about because I'm really hungry and I'm about to starve? You know, like whatever right. you're dealing with. Well, cool. Well, let's let's go into the post Kickstarter. You're still not full time game designing, right. not full time publishing. Post Kickstarter, you're still got this full time job. What did, what did your daily life look like then? Because now you're a project manager. Now you're trying to figure right. out all the ins and outs. So, what did your daily uh, design life look like then? For Viticulture, it slowed down a lot. There there was still a lot of like you said the project management aspect of it of, of dealing with the graphic design, the rule book, the proofreading, uh, things like that. But uh, by about maybe a month after the Kickstarter, I was almost looking for things to do. Like I was, I was missing being as busy as I was right during and right after the campaign. Um, and that's really when I got into into the the blog that I that I started the Kickstarter lessons blog that I write and maintain. That's when I got into that. So it, and but that is very different than now. Like after the side Kickstarter, I I a I went back to running my company, which was a little bit on hold during the Kickstarter. It's hard, hard to also run all the other games because we had other games. We, you know, I have other customers, not just the side backers. So I had to kind of refocus on them for a little bit. And then, uh, and then also game design. I, I didn't have any time to, to even brainstorm game ideas during the campaign. So it was really wonderful to, to actually be able to just turn off the computer and spend an afternoon brainstorming random ideas after the campaign. Yeah, definitely. So when you're doing video culture, did you already have other game ideas in mind or things you're hoping to be able to do down the road or, or, or not? After Viticulture, yeah, that was, that was when I started working on Euphoria, actually. Um, yeah, that's a, uh, yeah, I hadn't thought about that. But yeah, I, I started working on, on Euphoria pretty soon after Viticulture ended. Um, I don't think I was going full pace at it at that point, but, but I was starting to think about it and brainstorm ideas um, in maybe October of 2012. Yeah, and then you launched the Kickstarter for it, and then it just kind of kept on rolling up until we are here we are right. how many just random random question how many game ideas are you working on at any any given time not necessarily ideas but like actual prototypes or actual things that you're wanting to move forward with yeah so let me see on my desk right now I, i've got i've got a charter stone binder i've got a sieve game binder i've got a binder for so these are like i'm showing you these and mention these because these are like the active things that i'm working on um, this is a game that was submitted to us that I'm developing. Um, then I have a secret project binder, and then two other two other ideas that are in the works. So what is that? What is that six? That six games that I'm that I'm like not actively necessarily at the prototype stage, but getting pretty close on all of them. Yeah, gotcha. And so being able to do this full time is it, it allows you to do that. But my question always for people in your situation is, well, you have all this extra time, but do you find it just being eaten up by more projects? And so you really don't have more more time necessarily for one specific game. Now you just have a lot of time that goes to a bunch of different games. Is that kind of how it works out? That is often how it works out, yeah, which can be fun because it, it's, it's sometimes fun not to commit to a project, to, to spend an afternoon on one of these and then put it aside and spend an afternoon on another one because um, it, it does start to feel like, work a little bit when I actually have to pick one 
and make it happen, mm -hmm. uh, or at least test it out and make it happen. Uh, so it is fun for it to be at this stage. But yeah, it, it is. I, I tend to jump around a lot if I'm not if I'm not specifically working on a specific project. Right. But you know, this is the difference between being a game designer and a person that has an idea for a game. You know, so many people, they have this one really cool idea or they think it's cool or their dog thinks it's cool and they, they want to do a Kickstarter and they don't really think of it in terms of being, being a game designer or even being a game publisher. They've just got a really interesting idea. And I think that's the difference is having those binders on your desk that you can go back to and you can move around and, and when you get an idea and you can change mechanics and all that. And you're playtesting other games as well, you know, that you're right. trying different things and all that. So I think that's really what sets... Uh, sets a game designer apart from people just with an idea. So let's yeah. go and talk about your pre pre Stonemaier games full time deal. So you're still you're trying to do Stonemaier on the side. You're still working full time. But what what had happened in your daily life that kind of told you okay now is the time to make the jump? So there were two there were two moments two kind of jumps. One was after Euphoria funded. Um, this was summer of 2013. I kind of realized at that point that that it, it really hit me that I wasn't giving my day job the attention that it deserved when I was at, at that job. And it was just, it was overlapping a little bit too much. And so at that point I, I went to my boss and I said, can I, can you pay me less? Can you pay me 20% less and let me have Wednesdays to work on my company and I'll continue to do all the same work I was doing before, but I'll do it in, in four days instead of five and I'll be more focused when I'm doing it. And he, I think that's a pretty good offer, and, and, yeah. and, and he accepted. And so that was really helpful. And so that let me kind of delineate, okay, Mondays and Tuesdays, that I'm really going to focus during the day here when I'm at, at my job. And then when, because I know that I have Wednesday coming up. And I felt like, you know, it feels like a little bit of a weekend in the middle of the week, but it was a game design or, or uh, running up Stillmeyer Games day. And then I'd go back to the job. That was step one. Step two came about five months later when we ended up having a, uh, some – international deals in place where I, I knew that we were in a good place. We, we had started, we were, we were mostly all the way through fulfilling euphoria at that point. And I knew that we would have plenty of money left over in the bank or not plenty, but enough. And so at that point I, I took the step to, to go full time with Stonemeyer and leave the day job behind. Gotcha. Would you change anything looking back? Like, would you have waited a little longer or, or done anything different? That's uh, no, I, I think it worked out just pretty much the way it would have. Um, I don't think my boss would have, because part of this isn't just about time and, and, and my life, but also about all these, all the other lives that you affect when you leave a job behind. Right. Absolutely. And so, uh, if I, at the day after euphoria, I had gone to my boss and said, you know, I've, I've got $300,000 in the bank. I think I know how to manage it. I'm, I'm done here. He wouldn't, he definitely would have responded well to that. I, and I would have left, you know, all, all my employees at that job, it, it wouldn't have felt right. So being able to like kind of ease out of that job was good for me to figure out how to manage my work, my new work life. And it was also really good for my, the people at my day job. So I could transition smoothly out of that position as well. But what I did find actually, the one thing that I did do wrong is on my way out, like I, I kind of told my boss that I would come in for a few hours once a week and do some budget stuff. Uh, which is one of my responsibilities there. And I wish I just made a clean break and not said that because the, I, I found almost immediately that the last thing I wanted when I was trying to like really make Stonemaier Games happen full time, the last thing I wanted was to leave that and go back to a job that I had already left to do you know, a random job that 
it, it just I, I quickly realized that I needed a clean break and I, and I moved on. Um, so I kind of wish that was maybe the one regret. Absolutely. So do you have any kind of advice for somebody who or they just ran a Kickstarter? They made a million, they quote unquote made a million dollars on their project. Uh, what kind of advice or what, what, what do they need to look at for them to think or for them to know, okay, it's time for me to quit my day job and make this my full-time gig? Because being overwhelmed and having like all this to do and all these emails and questions and all that, that's really not a good enough reason. Uh, it, right. it really gets more into okay. the finances of things. So what are, what's some advice you would give somebody in that situation? Well, I like that you put a million dollars in quotes there. People couldn't see it, but you use little hand quotes yeah. there because that money, even though it looks like it's in your bank account, it really is not in your bank account at all because you have to spend most of it yeah. on fulfillment and manufacturing if you're making a game. So I try to pretend that money is not there. I think, and I think that's a huge part of it. You, you really you have to pretend that it's not there because otherwise you feel like you have a million dollars, but you don't. And so I, I definitely try to do that. What, I guess you're trying to get at the like, what's the what's a good enough reason to move on? For for me, I mean, it came down to other than me trying to to divide up my time in ways that that wasn't working out. But I knew that I couldn't make Stillmeyer Games really happen and really grow if I was continuing to split my time fifty fifty between it and a day job. So I I imagine most people have some sort of tipping point like that where they realize that they have the, the potential to make something successful and that they've started to demonstrate that success through maybe Kickstarter or something else, but that it's not going to go anywhere beyond that unless they devote more time to it. That was what made the, the decision for me. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess eventually you have to say, you know what, I'm going to take the risk. I'm going to bet yeah. I'm going to bet my on myself and I'm going to put the money down. I'm going to quit the, the day job over there. I'm going to make this full time. Because like you said, it's not possible to really do it and, and do it right if you're splitting time. You know, the old proverb if you chase two rabbits both escape and so you right. have to have to focus in you know it is a risk it's any any business any small business you're going to take that chance and so you know as long as people are really going into it with eyes wide open and understanding yeah. what the what the time looks like what the investment all those things look like uh and and, and understanding the finances of things you know, i'm sitting here thinking about so the other day my wife um she sold this like playground equipment thing that's in my backyard that my kids don't ever play with and she sold it for like 75 bucks. And so she came in. She was so happy. She's like, hey, I made $75. And I looked at her. I said, yeah, but we bought it for 100 <laughs> Like we, we lost $25, you know. <laughs> and so just understand the basic things like that, that, yeah, just because that million dollars is in your bank account. Yeah, but if you spend $1.2 then you're in right. a hole and you're in a bad spot and you're going to need to take out another two or three jobs to pay that off. Uh, right. So go into it with eyes wide open. All right. So you make the jump, you bet the money on yourself, you take the risk, you make this your full-time gig. What were your biggest challenges from the beginning as far as like, was it hard to schedule things or, or get your schedule in order or, or figure out those things? What was the hardest part of the transition? Well, the thing that's, so I, I was almost, I was curious to see that one of two things would happen. One, I thought, okay, you know, I'm working full-time for myself at home. Will Will I be diligent and, and will I actually work or will I be distracted by a million other things? Or will I end up – and I, that didn't happen. What, the other thing that happened that surprised me a little bit was that there, there's, because there's no line when you work at home between business and personal, almost everything ended up just becoming business. So I would do what I did now. Like I, I, you know, I roll out of bed and within two minutes I'm at work, which – 
um, is in some ways probably not the healthiest approach because some of those emails I get in the morning are not fun emails. Like we said, the fires that you put out, sometimes they're angry people. Right. And that's not always a great way to wake up um, in the morning. It's not just about starting, but it's also it, it just it, it's very easy for me to wake up and start working. And then and then I haven't stopped working until I go to bed. And that isn't always mentally good. So I really try to I, I try to be, become more intentional about taking breaks, like taking a lunch break, taking that grocery store break that I mentioned. And those little breaks are really helpful. Yeah, I think, you know, going into something you just said and then going back to something you said a moment ago, focus and intentional. That intentional, uh, intentionality of using yeah. your time and saying, all right, from this time to this time, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to turn my computer off and I'm going to turn off all distractions. I'm going to put the cats in the other room, in your case, put the kids in the <laughs> other room, in my case, right? And, uh -huh. and I'm, going to, I'm going to do this and that's it. And protecting that time at all costs, you know, um, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day about his marriage and, and you know, you have to make time for things that are important to you and you have to protect those things period. Uh, and it's the same thing. If you want to, if you want to do this profession, if you want to be a game designer, you have to take that time and protect it at all costs. Uh, and yep. if you want to be a, a, a healthy human being, you have to protect other things, other time you, you need right. to eat lunch. You need to sleep at least right. six, you know, seven hours. Uh, you have to protect that time knowing that the fires are not going to kill you. They're not going to burn everything right. to the ground. Uh, at least, Hopefully not, you know, not the most of them. <laughs> I'm glad Keith, that you mentioned the personal stuff there too, yeah. because my perspective that I'm talking about here is as a, a, a single person who lives with two cats, right? So I have no dependents. I have no other relationships other than friendships, which are very important, but I nothing to nurture and take care of. Mm -hmm. For people who had that, I think it's a, could be a very different story than what I'm describing here. Oh, um, absolutely. It's really unhealthy for someone in a relationship for, to do what I do right now. Oh, definitely. Uh, without question. You know, devoting 14 hours in a day on Charterstone or how many hours it was, that's amazing yeah. that you had that opportunity. Like, enjoy that because it's going to change, right, you know, right. it, hopefully you know, th as things work out, if that's what you want. I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's going to it's going to change because it has to because it needs to because a marriage or kids or, or even a third cat <laughs> would right. would change the dynamic of things. Uh, in some cases drastically, uh, yeah. like right now, my, my wife, she's out of town. She's out of, actually out of the country. And so I'm having to do all the homeschool stuff that she uh, was doing. And so I am, I am appreciating my wife so much more right now because I'm, <laughs> I'm cooking, I'm doing all these things that she normally does and she's great at, and I am highly mediocre at. And so, uh, trying to figure all that out. And, and the other day I said their thing, I was like, man, if I was single, I wouldn't have to worry about any of this stuff. I wouldn't right. trade my life for anything. But it's just it's just totally totally different, and that's one thing you know. A lot of people uh, send me emails about as far as well. I don't have time because I've got this job and I've got this responsibility and this uh, over here and these kids and my spouse. All those things. When do I find time to design? And I think yeah. it goes back to intentional focus. Okay, if you if you don't have four or five hours in a day, maybe you have maybe you have thirty minutes. Well, right. let's make that the most productive, efficient, effective thirty minutes of your life and then finding ways to outsource things. That's another thing uh, that I found is finding people that can help you do different things, whether it's blind playtesting or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. if you can't make it to game night, but you've got a friend that's going, but Hey, can you take my game with you? And, and if you get a chance yeah. to play it, but finding ways to uh, basically double your, your effort. And so, you know, even as a single guy, I'm sure you, you've had to do that as far as different things in your company. So, so tell me about that. What are some things you've found that work really well as far as outsourcing uh, doubling oh, yeah. your energy, doubling your time. Yeah, I, I try to get better at this. I'm still learning, but um, like some things recently, and this is something that I think many gamers can relate to, actually. I, I mentioned that I played Gloomhaven over the weekend, 
um, a game that is not only that I was excited to play as a gamer, but also as someone who's designing a legacy game. I wanted to play the latest legacy game. But I like to learn games from rule books. That's good for me as a designer to learn how to write better rule books. And so, but in this case, I just, I was like, I don't have time to do this. And so I made a deal with a friend that if they learned the Gloomhaven rule book, which I know is a little thing, but I think I, it took them a couple hours to learn yeah. that 50 page rule book. Right. Um, and that, that was time that I spent on Charterstone and other things I need to spend that time on. Also with Charterstone, um, making the prototypes for it to send to the blind play testers, which I don't always have to do. Sometimes I just use a print and play. But in this case, I, in Charterstone, I, I need to actually have make the physical prototypes and mail them out. That's something I could do, but it's also someone something that I know a guy who will do it and he'll have fun doing it and he'll enjoy getting paid for it and he can do it more cost effectively and more efficiently than than I do it. So that's something that I I, I outsourced those prototypes to a guy named Josh and one of our ambassadors who has a good time with it and that frees up that'll free up 10 12 hours for me this week instead of me cutting and pay, cutting like all these cards out. Yeah. Absolutely. And kind of, I mean, even just thinking through this from a business standpoint, uh, if you're the boss, if you're in charge, there are certain things that only you can do. There are certain right. checks that only you can sign. There are certain decisions only you can make. And so you've got to be yeah. careful with bogging yourself down with decisions other people can make, that if you have them on your team, that they can do, that they can enjoy doing that, get paid for it, whatever, and make sure you're focusing your time on the things that are mainly your your job. Uh, right. And it's it's awesome to be able to have people in your life that can do that. They can, you can trade a little money for their time, and they can create a prototype yep. for you. But you know, there's a lot of people out there that really enjoy that. And so yep. it's just a matter of building relationships, finding those people, having those friends, and, and then working together. It's a team opportunity in so many ways. Uh, any any other things you found that have kind of really doubled your effort uh, for the same amount of time? Well, one thing I, I learned pretty early on: a lot of these things are things that I find that I don't particularly enjoy doing and that someone can do better and more cost-effectively. And one of those things was uh, shipping anything. And for the, you know, I, I figured out the fulfillment system for, for our, our Kickstarter games pretty early on, but mostly in terms of like replacement parts, we get a lot of replacement parts requests where someone opens their game and, you know, something's missing or broken or they lose a piece. And for the first maybe year after, after Viticulture came out, I was mailing out a lot of those parts, and I I just I dreaded it. I, I that's one way that I really don't like to spend time. Even though it's good customer service, I really really don't like to do it. And it, it really I don't know. It just that's not how I want to spend, spend my time. So since then, we've developed a much better replacement part system, where I don't other than the thing that we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, where I email someone and say, hey, here's the form. There are a bunch of people who look at that form and do the actual mailing for me. So it was one of those things that I identified, and I'm sure there are a few of these things for everybody, something that takes doesn't even take that much time, but it adds up and that you just really don't enjoy doing, which is the case for me with mailing replacement parts. Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing we have to be mindful of is, as our time is very limited, it's most you know, it's the most limited resource we have, uh, yeah. is to not mistake movement for productivity. Like just because you're doing something doesn't mean you're doing something productive. Like I know and personally, there were times where I'd be working on a game and I would for hours and hours and hours search for just the right picture to use in my prototype on Google images. Like just need the right one. I don't want to pay for it, but I got to find the perfect one. And so much of my time was just wasted. I could have been doing something actually productive, but in my head, I'm thinking, well, I'm working on my game. You know, I'm moving, I'm, I'm clicking around, I'm trying to find this and that and colors and all that. 
but the truth of it was I was, I was really wasting time. So now I have to like catch myself and go, can I just put like a random icon on the, on and, and right. make it big? Oh, it's a big sword. Okay. Let me get a big black icon of a sword and now move on to the next one and, and yeah. be more productive in, in that way. And so, and I'm sure you've run into the things along those lines as well. Uh, and, and I would hate having to ship out replacement. Were you doing the shipping at first? Were you actually sending out the replacement parts? Yeah. Yeah. I can't even imagine that we, we have, I think over 4,000 replacement part requests over the last four years. Um, back then it was a much slower trickle, but still taking a few minutes out of, out of any day to do it, it it, it adds up. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And especially as you create more and more games that have as many components as, as scythe does, you're going to have more and more uh, of those opportunities. Well, I think that's all the, the questions and ideas I had. Do you have anything else to add? Any any advice for people, just kind of general tips or whatever, uh, for people who, who really are struggling to find that time or or even people that maybe have this romanticized idea of what, you know, hitting it big on Kickstarter and then having it as a full-time gig uh, looks like? Any kind of just general advice for those folks? You know, I think you've actually touched upon some of the biggest things, like being intentional. I, I love what you said about having a list. It's very gratifying to cross something off a list. And it also, it, it like I'm looking at, I use sticky notes, which I'm looking at right now. So it just, it helps me organize like the things that I need to do. Everybody has their own list making system. I, I don't think this is news to anybody. But I guess maybe the one takeaway that I've learned about list making is that every once in a while, I'll notice something on a list that I just keep putting off. You know, I've crossed off all these other things, whether they take a long time, a little bit of time, but there's something that keeps lingering. And usually that is a sign to me that that might be something that I need to find someone else to do. Yeah. Um, I kind of look for those, those signals there. The latest one for, for me is the, uh, the monthly budget. I, I, it's something, and it's something I feel like I need to do because I need to know exactly where we are as a company, what we're selling, but I don't enjoy, I don't enjoy doing the bookkeeping for it. Right. Well, is there any way you can outsource that to somebody? I'm, I'm thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's been on my mind lately. Yeah. It's been on my Like to do that, I scratch off everything on this list every day except for that for the last week. So it's the carryover going on there. Yeah, absolutely. You just write that one in pen and just know it's going to be there. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Jamie, cool, man. Well, we're going to go into a bonus round here in just a second. I want to get your advice on approaching a small publisher. So if I'm a, a game designer with a game and I want to approach uh, a publisher of your size or maybe smaller, what's your advice on, on how to do that and do it the right way and do it respectful and all that is. So we're going to head over to the bonus round in just a moment. Jamie, really appreciate your time, appreciate your insight uh, on this day-to-day grind and kind of your, your journey, your story. And so, uh, yeah, thanks for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks, Kate. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening. Find all sorts of game design resources, bonus material, and chances to win free games at BoardGameDesignLab.com. And until next time, keep designing, keep playtesting, and keep creating great games. Did I mention keep playtesting? Keep playtesting.